0: As we go to the Word of God now, I invite you to open your Bibles in the book of Numbers. And we will read most of chapter 33, Numbers chapter 33. We'll read from verse 1 until verse 49. It's a long read. Take courage. It's a long trip that we're going to take throughout the ancient Near East. But this is the Word of God. And... We know that He will be with us in that journey. Numbers 33, thus says the Lord. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying their first bo- all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. So the people of Israel set out from Ramses and camped at Succoth. And they set out from Succoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they set out from Ethan and turned back to Pihahiroth, which is east of Baal Zephon, and they camped before Midgol. And they set out from before Hahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. And they went a three days journey in the wilderness of Ethan and camped at Marah. And they set out from Marah and camped, came to Elim. At Elim, there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there. And they set out from Elim and camped by the Red Sea, and they set out from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. And they set out from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dafka. And they set out from Dafka and camped at Alush. And they set out from Alush and camped at Rephidim, where there, were, where there was no water for the people to drink. And they set out from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness, wilderness of Sinai. Sinai. And They set out from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth-Hatava. And they set out from kibroth Hatavah and camped at Hazaroth. And They set out from Hazaroth and camped at Hithma. And they set out from Hithmah, and camped at Brimon-Perez. And they set out from Rimon perez and camped at Libna. And they set out from Libna and camped at Risa. And they set out from Risa and camped at Kehel- Kehelatha. And they set out from Kehelatha and camped at Mount Shepher. And they set out from Mount Shepherd and camped at Harada. And they set out from Harada and camped at Makiloth, And they set out from Macheloth and camped at Tahath. And they set out from Tahath and camped at Tera. And they set out from Terah and camped at Mithka. And they set out from Mithka and camped at Hashmonah. And they set out from Hashmonah and camped at Mozeroth. And they set out from Mozeroth and camped at Bin and they set out from Bnei-Jakan and camped at Hor-Hagidgad. And they set out from Hor-Hagidgad and camped at Jotbatha. And they set out from Jotbatha and camped at Abrona. And they set out from Abronah and camped at Ezion-Geber. And they set out from Ezion-Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, that is Kadesh. And they set out from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the edge of the land of Edom. And Aaron, the priest, went up Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the people of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. And Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. And the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev and in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the people of Israel. And they set out from Monthor and camped at Zalmana, and they set out from Zalmana and camped at Punon, and they set out from Punon and camped at Oboth, and they set out from Oboth and camped at ai Abarim in the territory of Moab. And they set out from Aim and camped at Dibon Gad, and they set out from Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Diblothain. And they set out from Almon Diblothain and camped in the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. And they set out from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Jeshimoth as far as Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab." (sighs) Dr. Vern Poitras, professor of New Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary, is famous among many other things, for his redeeming book series. So far, he has written books about redeeming science, mathematics, redeeming philosophy, redeeming sociology, redeeming history. The list goes on and on. Rumor has it that he's writing three more at the same time right now. Having PhDs in theology and in mathematics, Dr. Poitras is the kind of person who can speak with authority about pretty much anything such is the case, that in the Westminster hallways and classrooms, a frequent joke is that whenever we run into something we don't know much about or anything that seems, on the other hand, too trivial, we say that probably at some point, Dr. Poitras will write a redeeming book on it. So we talk about redeeming Hebrew and Greek, redeeming printers, redeeming cheese, redeeming the doctrine of the hypostatic union, redeeming pop culture from the 80s, you name it. If something exists, Dr. Poitras will write a redeeming book on it, or he could, and then he will write redeeming non-existent things. I was reminded of the redeeming series by Dr. Poitras and the redeeming anything joke by his students when I came across this text the other day. We read in Numbers 33 and 34, the text that we will hear tonight and next week in this brief two-sermon series, a seemingly never-ending list of cities and places that we never heard about, mostly. But if every, if every scripture is useful for our edification as we read in the New Testament, the question on my mind was, is it possible to redeem geography? Is it possible to know more about Jesus and what he has done for us, about who we are, and about why we need him as a savior, from verses about Hor Hagidgad and Almon de Yes, it is. Let me tell, tell you that from the start. You see, the text that we read today is a travelogue. And when we look to the story of the people of God traveling from the house of slavery in Egypt to the land of the promise in Canaan, we can trace parallels to our own journeys in this world, from being born in sin and heading to the heavenly New Jerusalem. Questions like, where are you from? Where are we? Where are we going? Can have a profound meaning when we think of our own lives as pilgrimage in this barren land that we walk right now. Are we sure of what is there at the end of the road? We ask ourselves, or we try not to ask ourselves because we don't want to think about it. If our lives are indeed like a journey, we can certainly hope to learn something about where we are and where we are going when we look at the Bible's most not famous log. In summary, from this first portion of Numbers 33 that we just read, we see that God is with us in our pilgrimage through this life. Again, this text teaches us this night that God is with us in our pilgrimage through this life. To get to that conclusion, I want to look at four places tonight. Four kinds, groups of places that we find in this text and the things that they teach us. And first, the first group of places that we're going to look are the places that remind us that God is with us when we need Him the most. This text tells us about places that remind us that God is with us when we need Him the most. The first group of places that we find in this list tells us the story of God's faithfulness to His people. Most of them come in the text with a small note about what was significant about them. I don't know if you noticed, but some of the places that we read, there was like something that happened there. So verses 3 and 4, the journey begins at Ramses, a city in Egypt, when God struck the Egyptians with terrible plagues and freed his people with a mighty hand. Verse 8, HaHiroth, there was the place that we were, they were camped when they passed through a patch of dry land, in the middle of the Red Sea. Verse 9, when in the middle of the desert they find this oasis at Elim. If you read Numbers 21, you will find the story of the king of Arad that is mentioned here, who appears in verse 40, who had fought against Israel, Israel, even took some of them captive, and then was totally destroyed by them in war. So you see, when you look at that list, more than simply historical value, these kinds of places from the travelogue serve to remind the people of God of his faithfulness to his promises. Promises that involved protection and provision. And we see that throughout this list. Protection and provision. When they needed him the most, at the shores of the Red Sea, or at the mercy of, of a tyrannical Canaanite king, He was there for them. This reminds me of a story in the Old Testament that we just sang about. In 1 Samuel 7, we read that the people of God, after defeating their enemies in battle, the Philistines, they create a monument to remember that they only won because God the Lord had helped them. So they go and they put this big stone up, and they call that stone Ebenezer. Ebenezer in Hebrew simply means the stone of help. So in the last hymn we sang before the sermon, the phrase, Hither thy by help I'm come, it's almost literally a direct quotation of 1 Samuel 7, 12. That stone, the stone of help, was a memorial of God's faithfulness in helping them for all future generations to see. Hither, so far, The Lord has helped us. And this list that we read right now in Numbers 33, at least one portion of it, serves a similar purpose. It serves to remind the people of God how God was there when they needed Him the most. Therefore, tonight, for us, I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Some people have journals. Some people have Instagram, whatever does it for you. I want to encourage you to look back every now and then, every once in a while, and remind yourself of how many times you went through hardships, and if it wasn't for the hand of God carrying you, you wouldn't have made it. This is the reason, for example, that we pray in the evening service. Not only for our prayer requests and our petitions, but also for our testimonies of praise. To come here every week and hear of how God, our God, has helped us individually is a great reminder of how He still takes takes care of His people. Let us then be Ebenezers for one another. Reminding one another of the mighty deeds of our God. Remembering all those days when we had no answers, and He sent a word of encouragement or a helping hand. The text of numbers reminds us of those places. A second group of places that I want to look tonight. It's a group of places that reminds us that God is, is with us, even when we reject Him. Again, second group of places reminds us that God is with us even when we reject Him. The second group of places we find in Numbers 33 is a long list of places where the people of Israel rejected the Lord. Whether grumbling or plain out rejection, the list is filled with places marked by they are all too frequent complaining about the situation they were in. In verse 8, we read of Marah. When they complained, they had no water to drink. In verse 11, we, we read of the desert of sin, where they complain about the lack of food and cry out that they would have, it would have been better for them to die in Egypt, where, according to them, they had meat and bread aplenty, which we know is not true. Verse 15, Raphidim, lack of water again, complaining again, Verse 16, food again. This one is one of my favorites. We read about this last one in Numbers 11. It is the famous passage where they claim that in Egypt they had, quote, fish that cost nothing, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. And they complete by saying, now there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Cucumbers and melons in Egypt, really. They were slaves in Egypt. And yes, the only thing that they have now is bread that fell from heaven. But they complain. That is not enough. Can you believe that? However, if you look close enough, do you know what you find in Numbers 33 about all those places that I've talked about? Nothing. If, if you don't go looking for the names of these places in the other places of Scripture, you would have no idea that these petty rebellions against God would have, would have ever happened. None of what I just told you come, came from Numbers 33. Only the references of the places. Even Aaron's death in verse 38 which came as a direct result of his sin of rebellion in Numbers 20, is here presented as a simple act of obedience to the Lord's command. The Lord commanded him to go he, go, he went, and he died. The second category of places reminds us that as much as the Lord is faithful to his promises, he is forgetful of our transgressions. When Moses was tasked with the was tasked to write the story of their great pilgrimage as a stone of help for, that, for the following generations, God deliberately chose to keep silence on what they would probably be embarrassed for the next generations to know. When God is faithful, Moses writes it down what he did. When the people were unfaithful, move along, nothing to see. One commentator says this about this passage, bringing a little bit closer to home. Sometimes we are afraid to look over our past for fear of being overwhelmed by the reality of our sin. It seems too painful for us to remember all of the ways in which we have failed God. Yet, he concludes, this list reminds us that when the Lord looks back over our lives, he passes over our sins. You see, unlike you and me, God is not jotting down every instance we fail to keep our promises to Him. God does not keep tabs on our iniquities, as we so often do with one another. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The psalmist asks in Psalm 130. But then he proceeds but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Why then, knowing all of those things, do we still hold against each other that which God has already forgot? Numbers 33 calls us tonight to what someone described as holy forgetfulness. A disposition in our hearts to let go of what God has already taken care of and to show others the same grace that He has shown us. A third group of places that we find in Numbers 33 as we continue our journey reminds us that God is with us even when we don't notice. God is with us even when we don't even notice. This is honestly my favorite group of places in this text. Do you remember what happened at Dafka or in Alush on verses 12 12 and 13? Do you remember? Tricky question. We don't know what happened there. We don't know what happened there because this list is the only place those two places show up in the Bible as a handful of others. There are places like Sukkoth and Ethan in verse 6 that appear in other places like Exodus 13, but there are no events associated with them. We don't know what happened in those places. They camped, they went out, that's all we know about them. The point here is that even though nothing particularly interesting happened in those places, they were still part of the journey. One of my favorite authors has an expression that I use time and again, I probably have used in this pulpit before, to describe these kinds of places in our lives. He calls it the daily trenches of adult life. In the daily trenches of adult life, we don't find dramatic moments of deliverance, striking moments of moral failure, as someone describes these days. We find laundry, we find paperwork, oil changes, frozen pizza for dinner and then you remember you stop you look back and you realize that most of the days of your life are like that and when you realize that these are most of your days life can seem a little bit boring and dull doesn't it where's the action where's the Red Sea so I can cross in the middle Lord, show me an angel. Yet, as this list reminds us, these days, as much as the others, are part of our journeys from slavery in Egypt to the promised land of God. And it reminds us that God is faithful even when we don't see Him. When we look to our schedules in the rearview mirror, we just see a lot of stuff that we did Pastor Larry once told me this illustration to encourage me after a somewhat not great sermon that I preached on this pulpit. He was telling me about when he learned about multiplication in school. Do you remember when you learned it? Do you remember the grade you were the teacher? Do you remember the day that you like the day you realized that 7 x 6 equals 42? I bet you don't. But you know that. You know that 7 times 6 is 42. You don't even think about it. You just say it. Somewhere, someplace, way back, in the old daily trenches of childhood, you learned multiplication. And even if you don't remember when it happened, it did. It is in there. Pastor Larry's point to me that day was that the same thing applies to the sermons that he and I preach and that you and I listen to. We probably can't remember a specific sermon that taught us to be more patient, long-suffering, or generous. But then you look back on your life and you realize that you are way more patient, long-suffering, and generous than you were a couple of years ago. Sometimes we get to have a great meal with the whole family around the table. Sometimes we ate something that we still remember the three days of returning it to the outside. And sometimes it's just frozen pizza or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But in all of those days, God was faithful. He sustained us. And He gave us the daily bread He promised we would never go missing. Each and every one of our undramatic days in the daily trenches of life in this earth is another step on our journey to our heavenly home. And God was with us, sustaining and preserving us in those daily trenches. Finally, the last place in the journey reminds us that God is waiting for us at the end of the road. Again, the last place in the journey reminds us that God is waiting for us at the end of the road. If you counted, which I'm sure you didn't when we were reading, all the places the people of Israel have been, from Egypt to the brink of the promised land, you will notice that we have exactly 42 places listed here. You can do the math later. This is curious because there are other passages of Scripture that mention this this travel from Egypt to to Canaan and mentions the camps that they were in the wilderness, but they mention different places. So Numbers 33 is not a complete list because there are places that are not listed here, but we know they were. Nor, as we saw it, just a slideshow with the best of the best of their vacation. There are places that we don't know anything about them. So, these, this fact that we have this mishmash of places that add perfectly to the number 42 seems to suggest, some commentators suggest, and I agree with them, that 42 is an important number. And why is 42 important? Speaking of multiplication, 42 is a significant number in Hebrew literature because it is, yes, literally 6 times 7. There are 6 groups of 7 places. And as you probably are familiar, in Hebrew literature, 7 is the round number. So 6 groups of 7 means that there is 1 place left to go. Their journey is not complete. As we know, the journey ends here on our text, right at the brink of the land. What is missing here is the final day of their week of toil. They done all the walking and now they're about to enter into their rest. The question is, what is there at the end on the other side? Is it truly rest? Can they be certain that they will be okay when they cross the Jordan River? Well, from the rest of the Bible, after the book of Numbers, we know that the people of Israel, when they entered the land, did not find full rest. Most of them, actually, if you look back, and think about what you know about this 40 years that they spent in this travel log that we just read, you realize that most of them didn't even get to enter the land, those who left Egypt. You see, the greatest sin of the people of Israel between Egypt and the Promised Land, which again is not recorded on this list, was that they failed so hard to trust God that he had an entire generation die in the wilderness before they would enter the land. Think about this for a second. Moses had to bury everyone that he knew that came out of Egypt with him, with two or three exceptions. And then he himself, Moses, who wrote this travel log, did not enter the land. Yes, The journey of Numbers 33 describes our lives as we journey through this land. But it does not promise that everyone who begins will cross the Jordan and enter the promised land of rest. But as it reminds us that God has promised rest to his people, it reminds us, of course, of Jesus. The one who will take his people to their deserved rest. It reminds us of his invitation to all who heard him saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The final thing then that this list reminds us, this fourth place, is that the road ends at a person, not at a place. You can read later chapter 4 of the letter to the Hebrews, saying that there is another day of rest coming and that Jesus is our promised rest. He is the final step of that journey. Jesus is our rest because he was the one who saved us from slavery to sin and death, and in the most wonderful act of salvation ever accomplished, way more than the Red Sea. Jesus was God with us when we needed him. The most, and because of Him, it is because of Him that we can remember the great things that God has done in our lives, because they were done through Him and by Him and for Him. I can tell you now that Jesus is our rest, because He lived His entire life on the trenches of this of in the trenches of this dusty world, and never once He lost a battle to sin. Not even in the 30 plus years of his life of which we know almost entirely nothing. So Jesus was God with us even when we had no idea who he was or what he was doing. And because of him, we are assured that God takes care of us even in the most mundane days of our lives. Jesus is our rest because at the cross, he paid a price for our sins, for us and cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Jesus was God with us, even at the cross. When he was paying the price for our rejection and having on his shoulder the anger and the wrath that, was, that we deserved. When he had all the right to be angry with us, he was God with us. So because of him and what he did there, pardoning our sins, we can pardon those who wrong us. Finally, Jesus is our rest because he came back from the dead and he promised he would go ahead of us as a forerunner, as Hebrews says, to the heavenly places to prepare room for us, to prepare our final place. Jesus will be there at the end when he will be forever our God and we will be forever His people. I don't know what kind of place from this list you are camped right now. Some of us, I imagine at the end of our lives, will have more days like the first group where they remember that God was with them. Others more of the second, way more rebellion and rejection that we would like to remember. Most of us, I believe, will have spent most of their lives in the third group, in those daily trenches, doing laundry, and filing taxes. Nevertheless, for all of us, from all of those places, walking through this dusty world, wondering wondering about what expects us at the end, Numbers 33 tells us that whenever our days reach their final number, Rest is waiting for us. And by His good pleasure, we who are united with Him will safely arrive at home. So come to Him. Come to Him. Let us pray. Most faithful God, Your Word tells us that tells us of your faithfulness in the lives of your people in the past. And through that, we have seen your faithfulness in our lives. May we confidently, confidently live in the peace and hope that comes from being your children so that we may share your love with others. For Jesus' sake we pray, and together we all say, Amen.